If you're wondering where the podium I normally use is, earlier this week my mom goes, you've got a podium in the sanctuary, right? And I went, yeah, I, I preach from it. She goes, cool, we need it in kids' ministry. I said, fine, I'll deal with the music stand, I guess. They're doing a museum theme, and so she's using it for, I think, an exhibit, something like that. I'm not sure. Uh, I just try to do what works best. Today, however, what works best for us, I believe, will be to continue on in James. So if you want to flip to James chapter 3, we've looked through the first two chapters. Over the last two months or so, uh, we've looked through the first uh, couple of chapters of James, um, and and. This is a passage in James that a lot of us know, but I don't think we, one, fully understand, or two, readily invite into our lives. Growing up in the Brush family, it is not uncommon for there to be upwards of five to ten people speaking at any given moment. If you come to one of our family reunions where the whole family is there, yeah, all of Grandma's kids are there, essentially. It's just noise. Have, you, have everybody here seen How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Not the weird Jim Carrey one or the even worse Benedict Cumberbatch one, but the original one, the only good one they've ever made. Can I get an amen? Amen. No. You're dismissed. No, just kidding. But in and of course, in and of course, my wife loves the Jim Carrey one. We watch it every year and I go, wow, this is nothing like the one I grew up with. But in the original one, I don't know if it happens in the Jim Carrey one, but I know in the original one, at one point when the Grinch is lamenting what's happening, he goes, all the noise, 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 noise. And if you are my poor wife or my poor mom who married into the family, the first thing you probably thought of when you came to one of our family reunions was all the noise, 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 noise. It's great. I love it. But it's because we're all talking at once. And we've got a nice dinner table, and there'll be 10 of us seated around that dinner table. And I'm having a conversation with Dad, who's at the other end of the table, with Maddie, who's sitting next to me. Linnea's over here somewhere, and I'm having a conversation with her. It's great. But we're all talking. We're all using our tongues. One of the other things that can happen a lot of the times when you talk too much, and I am a walking example of this, is what is referred to as putting your foot in your mouth. I'm really good at saying something and go, probably should not have said that. And James here, in the beginning of chapter 3, spends a lot of the time talking about, hey, instead of saying, oh, I shouldn't have said that, just stop talking. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble. He might even say this in there somewhere if he lived in our world. My dad has a lot of sayings, idioms that he says. One of the ones he has told to me many, many times is, better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're an idiot than open it and prove them right. It's kind of what James is saying here. Let's read it. James chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. It reads, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put it, the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, 
wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Do the fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Let's talk about the tongues. If you grabbed a bulletin and have a note sheet in there, number one on your note sheet is don't open your mouth. Don't open your mouth. He begins this section by saying, hey, most of you should not be teachers. He starts with teachers. Now, he's, of course, not talking about teaching math and science and history and geography and all that kind of stuff. What he's saying is that most of you should not teach Scripture. Church, I don't want to alarm any of you, but that applies today as well. And he gives a very good reason for it. You incur a stricter judgment. God judges teachers far more harshly than he judges others. So harshly, in fact, that those called to vocational ministry, pastors, missionaries, that sort of thing, get a separate crown from everyone else when they get to heaven. It is a job, a role that God calls very few to. And here's the thing, that's not just pastors. It is pastors. It is Sunday school teachers. It is children's church, small group, Bible study. Do you teach the scriptures in any way, shape, or form? It applies to you. You will face a stricter judgment when you get to heaven. Because what happens is people listen to you. And you can easily lead people astray. If I'm, I've talked to you guys about some of my fears in the past. You know, I'm terrified of not being able to see where I'm going. I'm, I'm petrified of heights. Since becoming a pastor, one of the things I'm most afraid of is saying the wrong thing and leading somebody astray down a path that is just wrong. Now, am I perfect? By no means. Have I said things that I've had to come back here on a Sunday morning and go, I didn't articulate that well enough, and I didn't give the right impression. Let me re-say that. I have. But I like to think I've never spoken just pure heresy to you guys. But I'm constantly aware that what I say carries weight. And so does yours if you are speaking the gospel. If you are teaching scripture, it carries weight. And you can lead people astray. And so James says, listen, most of you should not do it. Now, does that mean you shouldn't sit down and talk with somebody about scripture? Of course not. But it does mean that most people don't belong in front of the church as a pastor or in front of a Sunday school class or in front of a Bible study or in front of a small group. It has nothing to do with how smart you are, how articulate you are. It has everything to do with, has God called you to be and do that? Because if he has not, he will not give you the ability to do it. And you are bringing down judgment on yourself. 
you don't like it, take it up with the author, not me, because that's who wrote it. You see, the problem is that words more than actions cause issues in our lives. We often say, oh, this person did this to me, but what hurts us more than almost anything? What people say to us. Your words have the power to bring life or death. And there is no in-between. Don't sit there and be able to think to yourself, well, you know, I don't say anything bad about somebody. Nope. Just as there is no such thing as neutral energy. It's either positive or negative. You're going forward or you're going backwards. And if you think you're neutral, you're going backwards. Your words are the same. You are either building up or you are tearing down. There is no in-between. And so James says, be careful, because the tongue is the single most important thing you have. He talks about how the tongue controls everything, right? I don't do horses, so I won't spend a lot of time talking about the bridle. But I do know if you stick that bridle in their mouth, you can pull the reins, and that steers the horse. Now, I've never ridden a horse, so I'm not going to pretend to use that as a great illustration. I have, however, driven a ship before. Not a big one, you know, just a little one. And it's amazing, you turn that thing just a little bit and the entire ship goes off course. Your tongue does the same thing. Your tongue acts in the same way. One word out of line to somebody can completely change the trajectory of their, of their life. Now, am I trying to say, listen, if somebody said something mean to you, that gives you a right to just go off and, ha no, you are responsible for your own actions. You are also responsible for your tongue, and the Bible is clear elsewhere. Don't be a stumbling block, and your tongue is far more a stumbling block than your actions ever will be. It steers the entirety of your life and the entirety of other people's lives sometimes, because out of the mouth comes what's in your brain. You can only hide that for so long. He talks about that a little later. But number two on your note sheets, number one, don't open your mouth. Don't talk. Just don't speak. Number two, a great fire. A great fire. I don't love the way that the uh, verse number, i got to flip my page. Um, verse number uh, five, part B, is written. If I was writing it, I would say, see how great, oh, let me, uh, never mind. But I don't, it doesn't flow right to me. But either way, the gist of it is, your tongue is like a match that sets a great fire. If you've been paying attention to the news, you know that Colorado is burning right now. It starts small, and it becomes a raging inferno. Your tongue does the same thing. You say a small word to somebody, and it becomes an inferno in their life that they can't put out. It's out of their control. Now, if somebody lights that fire in you, it is your job to put it out before it becomes a raging fire. But if you are the one who is speaking, your job is to never set the fire in the first place. I've said it many, many, many times up here, guys. Offend people with the gospel. Do not offend people with your words. The gospel is offensive. People don't like to be told that they need a savior. We don't. The gospel in and of itself is offensive to unbelievers. It will be. Your words better not be. Your job as a Christian is never to set the fire. 
Your job as a Christian is actually to help put it out. And your tongue can do that too. He talks about your tongue being this raging fire. It can also be a cool gush of water over somebody else's fire. My sister is probably sitting there thinking right now, I wish he would stop saying that word. They, let me explain this to you. When I was a young child, there were certain words that I said that they didn't like. For instance, if I said to you, a dog says woof and the animal wolf, yet apparently I say those two words the same way. And apparently as a child, I also wouldn't just say a fire. I would go, it's a fire. Also as a small child, my TR sounded like Fs. So I'll let you do that math for yourself. But either way, yeah, somebody over here got it. Somebody went truck. <laughs> somebody over there got it. <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Your tongues can set this raging fire on people. It can also be a cool drink of water to them. And our job is to always be that. You see, he says, we like to, um, uh, we, we like to praise our Father in heaven. We just spent the first hour, 15 minutes praising our Father in heaven through song, through giving, through all of this stuff. And, and you're going to go home and you're going to go, did you see? Did you see what Janet was wearing today? Now, Janet's not here today, so I can pick on her. Did you see what Janet was wearing today? Or maybe you'll do the... That's cursing somebody just the same as anything else. You see, cursing somebody is not necessarily going, I curse you. Cursing somebody is going, hey, you've put on a little weight. You ate a little too much over Christmas? Yes, I did. Thank you for noticing. Cursing somebody is going, hey, you know, you're wearing a shirt that I don't particularly like. Cursing somebody is gossiping about them. They don't even have to know. Cursing somebody is not, I curse you. Cursing somebody in our world is tearing them down. In one way or another, tearing them down. And that is never our job. Let Jesus do the tearing down of somebody. He's way better at it than you and I are. You and I build people up. Now, he's also better at that than you and I are. But he uses us to do it. And just as we're supposed to praise our Father in heaven, we should praise the people around us. We should look at somebody and go, I told Ron this morning, I like the fact that his mask and his shirt match. I don't know why, but I saw it and I went, huh, it's matching, that's nice. Praising somebody is telling them, hey, you know what? Thank you, Gail and Ida, for getting a... Uh, communion ready this morning, even if I was very quickly trying to mess it up by handing out the wrong one first. Thank you, John, for leaning over and going, are you going to do the bread first? Yes, I am. I was testing you to see. You passed. You get to be a board member for another year. <laughs> Praising somebody is things like that, little things. They can be big things too, but the little praises are the ones that we remember. And he's saying, what James is saying is your tongue has the power to tear down or build up. And you should not be doing both. You can't be, this is what he says, you can't be adequately praising your Father in heaven if you are also cursing men made in his image. 
I don't care who they are. I don't care that they're your worst enemy. I'm not trying to sit up here or stand up here, I should say, and be like, you know, he should have given Hitler a second chance. No, Hitler was a vile man. I am saying that if we were given the opportunity, you know, we'd better have done, preach the gospel to him. Let me bring it home. I know that a lot of you aren't fans of our governor. Okay. If you ever meet him, you better never tell him. You better preach the gospel to him. Same with Pelosi or Biden or Trump or uh, uh, de Blasio. He's not even in New York anymore. But either way, whoever. Your coworker that just needles you. I've got a coworker who sits across from me. And every day I come in and I sit down and they come in and sit out across from me. And all they do is go, you know, I think we should be doing this. And what do you think about this? And I'm like, I just want to, it's my mom. Dad's back there going, when's he going to say that? No, but we all, I'm sure I annoy mom sometimes too, right? But either way, we all have people, maybe it's your spouse. Just last night, Maddie and I had a conversation because we were lying in bed and, and I went, you know, it's cool that even after a year and a half, I'm still like, you don't have to go home anymore. This is home. This is great. I love being married. I think it's great. I'm like, wow, this is great. And she goes, yeah. Do I annoy you? And I went, well, sometimes you click your teeth at night and it wakes me up, but what am I going to do about that? Just push her. Right off the bed, just push. <laughs> it's okay because I talk in my sleep, so, you know, give and take. We all are going to be annoyed by people, but as much as she clicks her teeth sometimes at night, she also, if I may brag on her for a moment, just about every night during the wintertime, she pulls out the lotion and puts it on my back and gives me those good scratches that wives do sometimes. Wife material. I like it. She doesn't have to do that for me, but I have a really dry back because my dad does too, and I had to get everything from him, including his height. The men on my mother's side are all over six feet tall, and I'm sitting here five foot six. We build each other up. That's the point of the tongue. It is powerful. It is pure power for us to build up or to tear down. The tongue can inspire men and women to do great things or it can discourage you from doing anything. So, let's apply it to our lives, shall we? The Bible elsewhere talks about seasoning your words with salt. Now, if you also know the brushes very well, you know that if you put a plate of food in front of us, most of us do this, we don't even taste it first. We just grab the salt, put it on there. And before you go, but it was already cooked with salt. Salt tastes differently cooked than it does just put on something. And I was raised to enjoy salt. I like it. Salt was the primary seasoning back then. It preserved things. It gave things flavor. It was easy to transport and carry. So you had salt in everything. And so when the Bible says season your words with salt, what it's saying is make them taste good to other people. Now here's the thing. I don't care how much salt you put on broccoli. That stuff still makes me sick to my stomach. 
I despise broccoli. It is my least favorite food, broccoli. So if you're ever like, what should we get Pastor Sam for his birthday? Don't get me broccoli. Maddie loves it. Maddie thinks it's amazing, so she'll eat it. There you go. But it doesn't matter how much salt you put on that broccoli, I still don't want to eat it. It doesn't matter how much salt you put on bad words. They are still bad words. Season your good words. Just throw the bad ones out. Secondly, as we've been saying, make it a point to build people up. Never tear them down. I'm not saying that there isn't a such thing as constructive criticism. There is. I listen to my own sermons. I give myself some constructive criticism. What my parents gave me constructive criticism two months ago, a month ago, when they said, you never tell people how to apply it to their lives. There's never application in your sermons. And I went, you're right. I can fix that. There is a such thing as constructive criticism. However, unless you have the relationship with somebody where you can do that, it is not constructive criticism. It is just criticism. Also, if you have the relationship with somebody, your words can still just be criticism if they aren't seasoned correctly. I have the relationship with my parents where they can come and sit down and just say something and I go, yeah, you're right. Or no, I don't think you're right, but we can have that sort of conversation. There are other people in my life that if they literally come and tell me something, I go, cool. Bye. Whatever. I'm not taking that part. Now, if you come and tell me and then the person that I trust comes and tells me, I also go, oh, well, maybe I should pay attention to that. But your words should not normally be critical. They should be building up. Hey, you know... This Sunday's service didn't go exactly as planned, but we had a lot of laughs. I liked that. Yeah, it didn't go exactly as planned. You can ask Dad. Three minutes before it started, I went, it's going to be that sort of Sunday, isn't it? It was. It's all good. Build each other up. When you see somebody, the first thing you should say is, hello. Hi, you know, hey, whatever. But then... Tell them something about themselves that you enjoy, something that you like. Build them up. Just build them up continuously. And lastly, and this is where I actually have a physical application for you to do. Over the next week or two, I would like you, you're not going to have homework, you have to bring it in, I'm going to grade them all. Just kidding. But I am encouraging you, Carry around a little notebook and pen with you, if you would. Split it into two columns. And on the top of one column, write build. And on the top of the other one, write destroy, tear down, something like that. And after every single conversation that you have, put a tally mark under one of those. And at the end of the day, the end of the week, however long you do it, Take a look at how many were constructive and how many were destructive. Because that's going to give you an idea of where your words actually are. Because you might think to yourself, well, I'm pretty constructive. But when you look at your tallies, you're going to go, oh, crap. I have one build and 23 ba uh, bads for the day. Take stock of your words in that way. I challenge you to do it. Some of you in here are going to go, wow, look at that. 
I build people up more often than I tear them down. I could do better because I'm still tearing people down. If you have one single tear down mark, you can do better. Some of you in here, I'm sad to say, and I'm probably one of them, are going to look at that list and go, I got a long way to go. But keep working towards it. Your words matter. Your words change the course of people's lives. Use them correctly this year. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you. We thank you for your word that you give to us. We thank you that in your word you describe how to build and how to destroy so that we know what to do and how to do it correctly. I pray, Father, that you, we would be like that horse with the bridle in its mouth, that we are pulled in the right direction. I pray that instead of being this blazing inferno, that we would be this cooling gush of water over people's lives. Father, I thank you for those of us that you have given the, the, the privilege and the directive to teach. And I pray that you would always give us the correct words to say. Father, for this year, I ask that you would bless it. We're into a, a new year, and I ask that throughout this year, you would bless this church, bless your people, bless your kingdom. And Father, it's in the name of your Son that we pray, amen and amen.